Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. So last week... We, we started looking at Revelation chapter 2, looking at Jesus' letters to the seven churches. And I, I kind of feel like we need to take a step back from that and sort of put those letters into the context where we find them rather than just jumping into them. So part of that is looking at the first chapter of Revelation. So that's that's part of what I want to do today, but I I don't even want to jump right into that because I <laughs> I even want to put that into proper context. So we're, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 24 today and look at a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Uh, there, there was a phrase in the Old Testament that was used by many of the prophets about the day of the Lord. Uh, sometimes the great day of the Lord, sometimes the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, they looked forward to the day of the Lord. Um, the Jewish people did. At, at least when they were close to the Lord, they, they looked forward to it. Uh, what we find in, in the prophets many times is that the discussion of the day of the Lord especially the great and terrible day of the Lord, was many times given as a warning to the people because they, they were not close to the Lord and they were, they were not faithfully being his people. So the, the warning was what was going to happen in, in the day of the Lord because there, there was, there was going to be judgment coming to those who were against the Lord. And there's, there's a, a different phrase that is used sort of similarly in, in the New Testament, and, and that is the end of the age. Because Jesus came in and he ushered in the, the age of, of the kingdom of heaven on, on the earth. And there, there is coming an end of, of this age where the kingdom of heaven is, is here, but it's only partially here. Part, partly we're still waiting for a lot of the full aspects of, of the kingdom of heaven in, in this age. And when we get to the end of this present age, then we will see the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. We, we will actually see a new heaven and a new earth where we will live with God for eternity. And, and that is our great hope. And, and, and that, that was something that was uh, front and, and center to the, the understanding, to the day-to-day -day living of first-century Christians. They, they were looking for the end of the age. And it's something that we need to hold on to because I, I, I believe that the end of the age is drawing near. And in, in, in these days, as we approach the end of the age... We, we need more than ever, like the first century church, to, to live 
day to day in that awareness that there is something much greater that we're waiting for. That, that there's, there's a fullness of the kingdom of heaven that's coming. It, it is for us, his people. And, and it, it should cause us to, to desire to draw near to him. It, it, it should cause us to, to desire above anything else to be found faithful on, on the earth as, as his people. And, and, and that, that is the reality that, that we need to live in. And, and there, there are things, there are good works that God has planned for each of us as his people to, to be about right now. And, and we, we really need to be about fulfilling our destiny in, in this age because there's not a lot of time left to, to do it. But there is enough. That's the amazing thing. There's, there's enough time for us to do the things that God has for us to fulfill our destiny. Even, even if the end of the age is, is very near. And, and I don't know what very near is. Uh, Jesus could return imminently. Uh, as, as I look at things, uh, it, it, it seems like there's still some, some fullness that needs to come, uh, both on the good side and on the evil side. And, and that's where, where we're going to pick up Jesus' conversation in Matthew 24. So let's, let's look at this quickly and then we'll get to Revelation chapter 1. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And I, I, I've got to say a couple things about that verse because I think many people misunderstand that verse. It's, it's not that there are many who are going to come and say, I am the Christ. Follow me. Although there have been a few. And there probably will be a few more. There will be many who say that Jesus is the Christ and will mislead many. That's why the first thing that Jesus says is see to it that no one misleads you. Be careful who you listen to. There's a lot of junk out there with the name of Jesus on it. And I, I have told many people this. Before you start listening to somebody and watching their TV shows and whatever else, get some idea of what kind of day-to-day -day character that person is living in. And are, are they accountable to anyone? You need to know that stuff. So, that was extra. So, picking up with verse 6, And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you into tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. So a, a few things about that little narrative. In, in verse 3, there is, there's the word coming. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's a real important word in the New Testament, that coming. It's parousia is, is the Greek word. And it literally means coming or arriving. And in the early Greek writings, it specifically refers to the arrival of an emperor or a king. It's also used in early Greek literature to describe the invasion of a province by a general or the visitation of a god. That's what the coming means. When, when are you coming? <laughs> when is God coming to invade? Because that is what he's going to do when he comes the second time. The first time he came in, in the greatest meekness of any human being. He, born in, as a king in a stable. Because no, nobody would give his mother and father any, any room, even though she's about to have a baby. And he, he, he grows up as the one everybody snickers at because, you know, he... He was conceived out of wedlock. And hardly anybody believed the truth. Well, I, I, I can't follow that trail too far. But when he comes the second time, he's not going to look like the same person. And that's what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 1. Because although his meekness is, is still going to be there, it's still going to be part of who he is, we're, we're going to see some other aspects of his character when he returns. And it, it is going to be the great and terrible day of the Lord for all nations will mourn because they see him coming. They're going to say, oh no. Those lousy Christians were right. <laughs> and here it comes. And that's exactly why they're going to be mourning. The other word that I want us to understand in that passage is in verse 13. And I'll probably crucify it pretty badly since I don't actually speak Greek. <laughs> Hupomeno, which is translated endure. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And that means to endure or sustain 
a load of miseries. Adversities, persecutions, or provocations with faith and patience. Oof. Right? The one who does that to the end, and I'll, I'll give you that again because it's, it's so good. This, this is the literal meaning of, of this Greek word. To endure or sustain under a load of miseries, adversities, persecutions, provocations, with faith and patience. Folks, that's what it looks like to endure. So, with what Jennifer sensed this morning, I, I bless you to endure and to keep going through whatever it is you're going through. So, <clears throat> with that understanding, the king is coming as God, and he is invading. And those of us who endure, who hold up under difficulty, under provocation, under difficulty, persecution will be saved. We will say, we will not be mourning when we see him coming. We will say, yes! <laughs> we made it! I want to be one of those who having endured to the end is completely, utterly filled with joy at his coming. That is not the day to have your heart filled with regret. Oh, if only... There's not that much time left to endure. And His grace is sufficient for our enduring. Yes. So we, we live with, with that day in mind. that the king is coming. So Revelation chapter 1. A little background. John, the beloved apostle, if, if you had to pick one of the disciples who was closest to Jesus on the earth, I, you, you would have to choose either John or Peter. And most would probably choose John because Peter was just a little, you know. <laughs> and... And John himself, in, in his own narrative of the story of Jesus, uh, continually refers to himself as the, the beloved disciple, the, the one Jesus loved. And so it, it's, it's that person who is 
sent to this island, and I, I have a nice island somewhere <laughs> on, a, on a slide. Not, not like a, a paradise island, but it's, it looks a little rough if you can find that slide. He's, he's on this island as punishment. That, I think it looked maybe something like that. Not nice white sandy beaches with palm trees and pina coladas and everything. Uh, it probably looked more like this. And it, it's this John who is, was exiled to this island because of preaching the gospel. And, you know, they, they, they wouldn't exile someone to an island that was a nice place. The, the Romans just were not like that. So it, it would have been a miserable place. You know, may, maybe there was not a tree on the island. And, and so he's, the sun's beating down on him all the time. Anyway, you, you get the idea. And John is, is there... And it's, it's on the Lord's day and, and he's, he's worshiping the Lord because that's what you do on the Lord's day. And if you can't be with God's people, then you, you do it where you are. And he, he obviously couldn't be with anybody because he's on this island. And then this is, this is where we, we pick up here in Revelation 1 verse 1 the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw and of course, this is part of the reason that we're looking at Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And yes, I'm seeking that blessing. But there's some for you. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. For the time is near. And you know, it's 2,000 years nearer than it was when this was written. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And there's that parousia. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests, serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail or mourn, depending on the translation. <clears throat> Wailing is like loud mourning. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I can imagine. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven, or the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, <clears throat> what, what we see throughout the book of Revelation is we, we see the limitation of language continually and it gets more and more apparent as as we go farther in, into revelation that that John the the beloved disciple just can't find words to communicate what what he sees in in this great vision and you you can see that he's even when he describes his vision of Jesus in front of him the the person that he was closest to for three and a half years uh, he he is is completely taken by surprise by by what he sees i mean he he knew jesus if if he saw the jesus that that he knew. He he would have run to him and 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 tried to hug him. I'm I'm sure. But when he sees this Jesus, he falls down on the ground like a dead man. And and there's there's something that we need to understand about that. This. This John was was so close to Jesus. He he knew Jesus. He he knew about the return of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. He 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 was sitting there in Matthew twenty four when Jesus explained what his coming was was going to look like and and how how it was going to be. But but none of of those twelve had any idea what Jesus was going to look like when he returned. And we need to understand that. That when, when Jesus returns, he's not going to be nice. We... In, throughout the Gospels, we, we see Jesus full of love and, and, and showing mercy to, to everybody. But when the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, mercy's over. 
And like that word parousia, God is coming to invade his created earth. And, and he's going to do some really messy stuff as we see later in Revelation. But it's, it's the Jesus that John sees in this vision who's, who's coming back. And what, what, I, what I want us to see are, are just some, some of the ways that John describes Jesus in, in this chapter. Because we, we need to be anticipating this Revelation 1 Jesus and not the Matthew 24 Jesus. You get me? There, there's a reason all the nations are, are going to wail when they see him coming. Because he, he's not going to be alone. His army is going to be coming with him. And, and we, we can't even imagine what that's going to look like. Because there are a lot of different heavenly beings that are described in the Bible, and there, there may very well be others that aren't even described in, in the Bible. But the ones that are described got to be really scary looking. I mean, how many heads do they have? And wings and, I mean, yeah, eyes. And, and that's just a couple of, of the varieties. And, and then there's two-thirds of the angels because only one-third went with Satan. And, and it's, it's not going to be a fair fight. I mean, it's, it's not even going to be a fight. And, and it is... It is this that we look forward to. If, if we are the faithful ones, if, if we are truly his people, if we're representing him well on, on the earth, and, and if we have endured, and I... I, I forgot um, one little phrase out of that passage from Matthew that I meant to look at, so we're, we're going to take a step back. It said, the harvest is the end of the age. And what that means is that all the seeds, which are deeds done by people all, all the seeds that have been planted good and evil are, are going to come to their fullness and then there's going to be the end of the age there, there's going to be a harvest there's evil is going to come to fullness on the earth and, and we haven't seen anything yet. And the church also is, is going to come into its fullness. And again, we haven't seen anything yet. As the church will look in, in its fullness. Because Revelation says that when Jesus comes back, his bride will have made herself ready. And I, I hate to tell you this, but it, it is reality, it is persecution that causes the bride to make herself ready. 
And if you're hoping for a rapture to happen before the tribulation, continue to hope, but don't expect it. I, I hope with you, but I, I do not expect it. If you, you read that whole Matthew chapter 24 and then tell me if you still believe that he's going to take us all out of here before things get hard. The, the reality is we, we as human beings, we don't do very much that's difficult unless we have to. I mean, there, there may be an exception out here, and, and I hope there is, but not very many of us will do difficult things unless we have to. And, and we're talking about the church worldwide, and, and we're going to have to do some difficult things if the bride's going to make herself ready. And it will very likely be because we have to. I, I think we're, we're going to see community in the church in a way that we may have dreamed of, but we've not seen. When, when quite possibly our, our lives depend on one another. The church in different parts of the world are already under that. And many have been for a very long time. But we have something to look forward to. This, this Jesus who gave himself for us that we might be new creations is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to let it all hang out. He's not going to hold back. And I want to be on his team. Because the other team... You, you, you read to the end. <laughs> you, you don't want to be on the other team. So what, what does John see of Jesus? I just I want to finish with, with looking at, at some of the ways that John sees this Jesus who he thought he knew better than anybody. And the reality is he, he did. John probably knew Jesus as well as anybody except his mother. In verse 5, he says, Jesus is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and he is the ruler of the kings on the earth. And it's interesting to me that John uses present tense here. Yes, he he is the faithful witness. He, he is the one who absolutely faithfully represented the Father on the earth as a human being. And yes, he, he is the firstborn of the dead. He, he is the first fruits because we're all going to be raised as he was. But he is, it doesn't say he will be, 
This is 2,000 years ago. He, he is the ruler of the kings on the earth. So don't, in the days ahead, don't doubt the sovereignty of God. Don't think that he missed something or forgot about something where you are concerned. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He loves us. He frees us from our sins by his blood. He made us a kingdom and priests to God. Yes, we are a kingdom and priests to God now. That's who we are. That is your identity. And he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and all the earth will wail on account of him. Now, some, some of these other things. Uh, the voice like a trumpet. Trumpets announce. In Isaiah 58, Isaiah is told to lift up his voice like a trumpet to sound a warning to God's people because of their condition. In Revelation, we see seven seals we see seven trumpets and then we see seven bowls. Jesus is speaking to John like a trumpet because he's announcing things. And John is to then communicate that to the rest of us. Uh, the seven golden lampstands are explained. Those are the seven churches. John says he sees one like the Son of Man. And we know that that was Jesus' way of describing himself continually in the Gospels. The Son of Man. So there was enough of... There was enough similarity... <laughs> in what John saw that he could say he looks somewhat like the Son of Man but not like the Son of Man that I'm familiar with. The golden sash that he saw that was part of the priestly garments uh, for the Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament. That was part of the garment that is described in Exodus 28 as for honor and dignity. And it was a sacred garment. In, in Isaiah 11, it's described as a sacred garment. In Isaiah 22, it said faithfulness is Jesus' sash. He had hair white like snow or wool. The same description is used in Daniel 7, describing the Ancient of Days. He had eyes like flames of fire. Same terminology is used in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes to judge at the end. 
And I can only imagine eyes like flames of fire when if if you would look into the eyes of Jesus that are like flames of fire, you you know that they can see right through you and they can see everything about you in one glance. He had feet like burnished bronze. And it's interesting, Ezekiel, in his encounters with other heavenly creatures, describes them as having feet like burnished bronze. And Daniel also had a vision of an angel who had feet that were like burnished bronze. Apparently, that's the kind of feet you have in heaven because that's what Daniel saw, or Ezekiel and and Daniel. His voice was like the roar of many waters. And Jeremiah also describes the voice of God as creating a tumult of waters in the heavens when when he speaks. And I, I think what we're what we're to see here is more of the fullness of who Jesus is now. He he's not just a human who is still God anymore. He's he's more. Although he is still human, which is hard for us to fathom. But he is completely glorified and and he is coming soon. And there's a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And the writer of Hebrews says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword to divide soul from spirit and to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we see in Revelation chapter 2 that he will wage war with the sword of his mouth. And I, I really think that that what that means is that's, that's why I say that it's not even going to be a fair fight when he comes back because all he has to do is speak and it's done. And there will not be any coming against him. And his face shined like the sun in full strength. This is the glory of God. Moses just got to see his back. And he still glowed for days after. This this is why John fell like a dead man. He saw the face of Jesus. And he thought he was dead. But he had a message to communicate. John had seen a likeness of that once. When Jesus was transfigured, he went up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah came down, and Jesus began to shine. He was, I believe, partially transfigured. He, those three were shown a partial image of what John later got to see more of the fullness of in Revelation 1. And we're also told what the seven stars were in in his right hand. Those were the angels, the messengers of, of those seven churches 
who this letter was sent to. And we, we have to know that what John was shown here in, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Lamb, that when... Can, can you imagine being in one of those seven churches and, and getting this letter... especially one of the five that were told to repent or their lampstand would be removed. I, those people were on the ground as though dead because the Son of God had just read their mail completely. Can, can you even imagine? I mean, we, we, we love the prophetic. And, and, and I, I love it when, when the Lord speaks to us in, in, in the moment. But there, there is a fullness of, of that gift that, that is coming that, that we've not even seen or, or imagined that when... When the Lord speaks, there, there is going to be such power released that it's, it's going to be like the difference between how the bride looks an hour before the wedding and how she looks at the wedding. She's about to take her shower. She's still dirty. And there, there, there is repentance coming because the Lord is going to speak to his church again the way that he did in the second and third chapters of Revelation. And our reaction to what he speaks is, is going to determine whether we're wheat or tear. Because the wheat's going to fall down. And, and the tares are going to be able to stand and they're going to say, what's going on? I don't understand this. You want to be wheat. It's when, when the Son of God begins to speak to his bride, we better listen. And when he speaks to us like he spoke to those seven churches, in Revelation 2 and 3. It's not going to be hard to do what he wants us to do. There, there will be no other course of action. Not even to be considered. And, and that's going to happen in our day. And I don't think it's very far away. And there's travail coming. The Lord is, is pouring out a, a spirit of intercession upon people to pray that in, into being. Because we... We need, the church is going to need the fullness of the apostle and the prophet 
the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher. And he's been in the process of restoring those things, but we, we've not seen what we will see. But we will see it. Because things cannot continue as they are going now and have Jesus return. There, there is a harvest coming at the end of the age. There is a fullness coming at the end of the age. And we were made for this time. John got to see some vague glimpses of this stuff. I, I believe we will get to see the reality of it. Endure. When it's hard, endure. When it gets harder, endure. When it's painful, endure. The king is coming. And it will be an invasion. And everyone will see. And, and we want to be <laughs> those who are completely filled with joy at his coming. And, and not those who are filled with regret. Right? Yes. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we bow our hearts before you. You are the one who is, who was, and who is to come. You are the glorious Son of God. We give you our hearts. I pray that you would give us undivided hearts that hunger and thirst for you, that obey you quickly and completely. Prepare us, Jesus. We ask for the fullness of the church to come. And we ask for the blessing of being a part of that. Lord, let renown come to your name on the earth again. Align our hearts with you. Lord, let us see the things of the world as the puny things that they are. And give us a, a grid for the eternal and for your coming. Lord, move us. Move upon us. In Jesus' name. For your glory, Jesus. Amen.
Lord, bless us. Bless us with eyes that are looking to you. Bless us with hearts that are turned to you. Bless us with hearts that are soft. Lord, bless us with hearts that want to see you get what you want in this city and on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.